14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to try to get the chapter finished up tonight, so we'll get in and we'll go verse by verse here. And again, I, I want to kind of reiterate what we were saying last time. This is a, a real good chapter when it comes to dealing with the charismatic and understanding why we're not charismatics and, uh, and how we can defend uh, the fact that we don't use tongues and we don't heal and all the rest of that stuff. The prophesying like, you know, these folks nowadays will claim to be an apostle and they'll claim to be a prophet and that kind of thing and why we don't believe in that. Uh, but this is going to be one of the passages that they go to to prove that it actually still exists because Paul is writing a book to the Corinthian church and in the church they're utilizing the gift of tongues. And so what happens to a Bible believer that's non-charismatic, we know that those gifts are gone, you get stumped up sometimes. Even though in your gut you know that ain't right, it doesn't feel right, something about it's wrong, uh, I've never experienced that, I, I really don't think that that's evidence of, you know, gift, speaking in tongues is evidence that you've been saved and that didn't happen to me and you know instinctively it's wrong and you disagree with it. Uh, I've seen a lot of Bible believers over the years get real frustrated, real stumped up when it comes to trying to debate the subject, okay? Trying to prove what you believe is right. Trying to show a charismatic, like, look, you're wrong. You've been taught wrong about that, and here's why. That's one of the greatest problems I've seen. And, and to be honest with you, in, in true Bible-believing churches where they rightly divide the word of truth, and the pastor's diligent to teach and show those things, you're going to find people that really understand it and are pretty strong in why we don't practice them. But among most of the fundamentalists, like the big box Bible colleges I've been to and a lot of the evangelicals and the rest of that that may believe in salvation the same way we do, when it comes to really defending why they don't believe it and proving they don't believe it, even though they don't believe it, they can't really defend it. Uh, they get frustrated. And what it turns into is a big, ugly debate. It ruins Christmas. It ruins the birthday party. It ruins the get-together with Grandma. Uh, it ruins your relationship with your coworker when he's born again and you're born again. And then you get into this standoff with them, and it's aggravating when you know you're right, but you can't prove it. Has anybody ever been there? Uh, that's real aggravating, isn't it? Uh, you ever been into an argument with your spouse or, or your sibling or something like that? I know it doesn't happen in your house. But you ever, you ever, get, you ever get in one of those and like, you kind of like start behaving wrong, but you were right and you knew you were right in the beginning? And now that you're behaving wrong, you look wrong? And you actually kind of are wrong? Mom and dad walk in on it and they see your behavior and you're acting out because you're frustrated. You're not controlling yourself because you know you're right, but you're not good at defending it. Uh, you know, most people aren't great debaters. Some people like to debate. Some people are good at it. They enjoy it. The mental dueling is encouraging, you know. It's just sport. You understand what I'm saying? Most people aren't like that. So you can know you're right, but when it comes to having that standoff or that mental duel or that back and forth, you get really aggravated. One of the things that will help you not get aggravated is understanding these doctrines and being able to turn to them and show why. That's what I want to do for you as your pastor. I want to be able to teach you not just what we believe, but why do we believe what we believe. Uh, I've always said this, and I still believe it. Truth is not intimidated by error. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, and I try to continue to tell them, listen, when you come across something in school, uh, your teacher is teaching something that's contrary to the Word of God, come talk to me. Uh, if you get confused, come talk to me. Don't, don't be like, well, I don't want to go ask Dad because I'm going to sound like I'm doubting the Bible and he's going to think I'm a heretic. Come talk to me. Truth is not intimidated by error. 
uh, I'm not worried about what their teachers can do to them, you know, get in their head. Uh, not if I got the truth. And if I stay close to them and keep an open door, and if they have a heart for God, then they're going to see the truth. Uh, you don't have to get all nervous and all uptight and all argumentative and all anxious and aggressive and all the rest of that stuff. You don't have to do that. You can stand strong in the Lord and the power of His might and be strong in your mind and your conscience. And if you're in that state, if you know why, and you could turn to it and show why, you're in a great position to try to reach somebody. You're in a great position to stay calm and have some discernment on who's asking the question because they really want to know the answer and they believe the Bible but haven't been taught or have been deceived and who's being a knucklehead. And when they're being a knucklehead, we'll look tonight at what you're supposed to do with them. The instructions in the Bible are very clear. 1 Corinthians 14, let's pick it up in verse number 21. Don't forget in context was verse number 20. He says, be not, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Uh, that's what my little introduction I just talked to you about. Uh, to be a man in understanding is to be taught the doctrine of the Bible, to be strong in your doctrine. The heart's established with grace, not with meats, right? Yes, sir. The heart is established with grace. Uh, I don't want to become so doctrinal that I'm ungracious. I know a lot of people that can debate doctrine all day long, but they're idiots. They can't reach anybody. They're right about everything, but that's kind of their forte. It's like, well, we're right, and we're here to teach everybody, and we know. And the heart's not established with doctrine, but your strength, your standing will be established in doctrine. Does that make sense? Your heart's established with grace. Grace is more important. Well, doctrine is the first application of Scripture. But for you to be healthy and strong in your doctrine and effective with your doctrine, you've got to be established in grace. But you've got to have the doctrine to be strong. So in understanding to be a man and to be strong, you've got to be able to grab a hold of these things and be taught that Bible. And the Bible's really not that confusing. Honestly. The devil tries to get in there and make you think it is. But it's in writing, it's black and white, it's spelled out, and if you leave things in their context and don't pull them out of context, they're going to make a lot more sense. Do you, do you follow that? Whenever you look at something and pull it out of its context, it's going to mess you up. I have had more than once in my life, somebody come ask me a question, even happened to me not too long ago, I could tell the young man that was asking me the question was brilliant. I really, I, I had spotted him earlier, I, I knew the guy was a super smart kid. And I thought, oh boy, because he'd come to ask a question. And I knew a super smart kid that believes the Bible and asks the question is going to be a good question. You know what I mean? So what I did while he's asking the question is I just prayed. I said, Lord, help me to be able to give a good answer here. Because the question was actually a decent question. And then when you looked at what the guy was looking at, it was confusing. You know what the Lord told me? He said, remember the basics you got to always remember the basics. you got to have that strong framework, that strong doctrine. What are the basics? Context. Everything out of context, anything out of context is a pretext. When you see something in the Bible and you jump to conclusions about what that little phrase means because you know the meaning of that phrase like baptism, salvation, so you jump to a conclusion about what that means, then you automatically tricked your own mind into thinking it's saying something it's not saying. So when you step back and say, okay, basics, what are the basics? Well, what's the context? What's the thing saying leading up to this verse? What's it saying after this verse? Now, in light of the context, let me look back at that one thing that grabbed my attention and drove my mind to a conclusion that I already had in my head. 
Are you understanding what I'm saying? Preconceived notions. Do you know as human beings, we're all prone to preconceived notions? Every last one of you. You will be programmed to see a word and think something based on your background, your education, your reading, your particular uh, hobbies, your particular whatever. You'll be programmed to see something and automatically think you know what it means. So you got to step back and you got to look at the context. And when you back up a few verses, you run down a few verses past it, it'll come to life. And it makes a lot of sense, okay? So in verse number 21, he says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. All right? So now what he just referenced to was Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, if you would go back there. Now, as we go back to Isaiah 28, 11, please don't forget what I just said to you about context. Because in everything, everything you do in life, okay, there's a foundation. You do understand that, right? There's got to be a foundation. Uh, you drive by these houses. I remember years ago, we used to do basement footings for the builders, right? And you go through some of these big, fancy neighborhoods. I mean, we did a lot of them all over through this area and all over through Canton and whatnot. Some of the real nice uh, subdivisions, you know, uh, the small... Well, back then, I mean, that was 20-something years ago, the houses were 300000 which would be probably... Uh, my wife would be better on that, five or 600 nowadays. I mean, they're, they're big houses, nice houses. And, uh, and so we, did, we just did just hundreds of them. I mean, we'd go... We were so busy, they were digging the holes so fast ahead of us that we would go every other hole so we could pour a footing... And then the next morning, we could strip that footing and flip it over into the next hole, and we would just be doing that, like, leapfrogging all the way down through there, just screaming, man. We were doing three and four footings a day. You know what's funny about those houses? You drive through those neighborhoods now, and you look at the landscaping, and you look at the different houses. They don't all look the same. But you know what I remember? I remember about three or four different patterns for all those houses when it comes to the foundations. We got to where it was like, this is a such and such, and we just knew where the stanchion pads were, we knew where to put the bleeders, we knew exactly what was going on. I mean, it was like we had these things down like, like clockwork after a while, because the, the basics, the foundation, is always, it always has to be there. You start with the basics. I just gave you that when I talked to you about context. Now, on top of the basics, then, it doesn't stop there. There's a lot more to do. You do understand. By the time you drive through some of those subdivisions 20 years later, individual homeowners have put their own tweaks on it, right? And, and you get to the, touch, the finishing touches when it comes to brick and windows and landscaping and this, that, and the other thing. You can drive through a neighborhood and they don't even look anything alike. Houses are all different. So there's more to learn when it comes to studying your Bible and it comes to God developing you than just basics only, Right? But you can't do the finishing touches without a solid basics. God shows us back in Isaiah 28 how to keep building on those foundation, on those basics you've got. And he's referring back to Isaiah 28 in 1 Corinthians 14. It says verse number 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? Me? <laughs> I'm just saying I want him to teach me some knowledge. You understand what I'm saying? I want to learn my Bible. I want to know God. I need to know God. I need to understand how he's working, why he's working, what he's doing. I really want to know him as good as he'll let me know him. I want to know myself. I, I, want, to know, I want to know relationships with people. I want to know how to help people. I want to know how to control me. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I want to know how to help people that are hurting. I want to know how to be a good husband, a good father. I want knowledge. I want knowledge of this book. I don't want my Bible to get boring. Honestly, come on, I'm being real now. You know the Bible gets boring. You know why? Not because the Bible is boring. I didn't say the Bible is boring. I said it gets boring because you're a sinner. 
That's why. <laughs> I don't want it to get boring. I want him to teach me knowledge. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Me. I want to know what I believe and why I believe it, and I want to be able to prove it, and I want to get so good at knowing it and understanding it that when somebody is looking for truth, and listen, man, I'm not being a jerk. When somebody doesn't really know the Bible and hasn't been in church and they first open up a Bible, they are swallowed up. Do you understand that? I mean, good night, man. It is overwhelming to try to say, where in the world do I even start in this book of 66 books? You live in a generation people don't even read for pleasure anymore. It's pure pictures. Instagram. It's not, it's not you know, your little blogs and stuff. Nobody's reading any more than a couple of sentences of what you have to say. They look at this, they look at that, they jump to a conclusion about what you mean, and that's that. People don't read nowadays, let alone a Bible. When somebody comes to me like that, I want the help of God to be able to lay that doctrine out and have some wisdom to show them. The po- I want to get you addicted to the Bible. I want your children to say, church is interesting. I learned so much. I want, I want that doctrine. Me, I want, who, who, okay, teach me doctrine. Them that are weaned from the milk, you can't stay there and drawn from the breasts. You can't stay a baby. You got to become a man at some point in understanding. Now watch. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Stop. You can't walk into church two, three, five, or even ten years after salvation and be jumping all over the Bible to answer one question in 1 Corinthians 14 like somebody that's been saved for 40 years and studying their Bible for hours and hours and thousands of hours you, you has had training, has been through the training, has put the studies in. You can't possibly expect yourself to do that within a short period of time. It takes a life. Understand? That's why we're in this thing. Faithfulness is more important than you being the first one to the finish line. Faithfulness, the long, slow, steady haul of the long run. But what we're doing is we're giving you precept upon precept. What Paul's doing is he's teaching them tongues and he's teaching them tongues in context, running from the problem that they have and taking them all the way down through this thing and trying to explain it all to them about Jews requiring a sign and how the tongues are supposed to work. But then what he does is he's running them over here and he's giving them a precept upon precept, a line upon line. So as you build on that foundation and as you stay in church and keep reading your Bible through 15 minutes a day, if you can cut out 15 minutes a day, you should be able to read your Bible cover to cover in 15 minutes a day once a year now you do that for 10 years and you begin to start to get familiar with your bible plus you stay faithful to come to church we'll keep going through books you listen to preaching you'll be shocked how quickly the foundation it's not just a foundation anymore the basement walls are floored the floor is on the framers got the walls up things are starting to take shape to you and it really is fun it's really intriguing god begins to speak circumstances of your life fall into place. You walk into church, a message preached like, my goodness, the guy's reading my business. I mean, it gets more and more exciting all the time. It's an alive book. So there's more to build than just the foundation. But don't forget for now, if you're new, just stick with context. Pay attention to the context. Now look at verse number 11. This is what he's referring to. For with stammering lips and another tongue, another language... Right? We talked about that last time, right? Another language. He will speak to this people, the Jews. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith he may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. He's pointing them to God, pointing them to Jesus Christ, pointing them to the gospel. The point of those tongues Jesus gave to the apostles, the signs were supposed to follow them to the Jews to point them to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, but they wouldn't hear, right? 
Look at verse uh, number 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That they might, like I said, it swallows people up. That they might go and fall backward. I've already taught you what that is. When Jesus Christ said, I am he in the garden, what did the soldiers do? Fell backward. So when you see the charismatic and the charismatic movement putting his hand on him and healing him and he falls backward, if you know your Bible, you know that's a false spirit. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of Judas that came into that garden. When he said, I am he, boom, the power of his words knocked him right back on their hind end. All the way through the Bible, when you find a worshiper of Jesus Christ in presence of God Almighty, he falls on his face when he's got the right spirit. But here he says, line upon line, that they might go and fall backward. Why? Because they're rejecting the truth. So when they look at the Bible and when they start comparing Scripture to Scripture, they say, well, it says you have to endure to the end to be saved, but it says over here you're sealed under the day of redemption. Well, it must not mean that. Well, we're going to change one or both of them. We're going to start twisting the Scriptures. You just fell backward. You just started manipulating the Word of God. You're not rightly dividing the Word of Truth because when you go line upon line, when you go precept upon precept, you start looking at those corrections like they come to you saying, well, if the Ten Commandments are gone, then... We're still under the Ten Commandments. Man, you've fallen backwards. You're earning your salvation? What do you mean by that? What are you trying to get at? You, 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 don't, you don't seem to get the big picture. You're not understanding how to rightly divide the word of truth. So that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. This is the passage that Paul's referring to back in 1 Corinthians 14. That's what he's referring to in verse number 11. Now look at verse number 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. All right, so in chapter in verse number 22, he says that tongues are for a sign, not for the saved people. So why are you coming into church and practicing tongues? That's not scriptural. That's not what this thing says tongues are for. They're for them that believe not. What did we already see in Corinthians? They're assigned to the Jew because the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. What did I show you in Isaiah chapter 28 that Paul is showing you in the passage? He's talking about God's people being provoked and hearing another tongue and then falling backward because they're rejecting the truth even though God's showing them miracles of people speaking in tongues. doesn't have anything to do with the church. But they'll say, yeah, but this is the church at Corinth. This is happening in the church. And Paul says at the end of this thing, Forbid not to speak in tongues in verse number 39. So why are you forbidding us to speak in tongues? Who said we are? Never forbade you to speak in tongues. I'm just showing you doctrinally what they were for, how they were used and why they were used. And I'm telling you, you better use them doctrinally. So where's the unbelieving Jew? And what did you just say? Because I'm here to interpret. You just said you're paying for the addition out of pocket today. You're putting the check in the box. We'll take a little extra. Let's just make sure we just run a little high. Let's do like six, seven hundred thousand. I think that's what you just said. I'm interpreting. We'll got a good start at the parking lot already. Amen. Right? Go back to Acts chapter 18. I want you to see something. We're just going to bounce around here. I want to show you something about Corinth. Because they'll say, well, this is the church in Corinth. This is Paul's book to the church and all the rest of that. Well, here's what's not understood about Corinth. Verse eight, uh, Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain what? Jew. Ain't that interesting. Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. 
and came unto them. Verse 2, look down at verse number 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the what? Hmm, ain't that interesting. Look at verse 5. So Silas and Timotheus are come to Macedonia. Paul expressed, expressed in the spirit, testified to the... Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, verse 8. You know what you got all the way down through there? Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, which is the region Corinth is in, and the what made insurrection? Verse 14, Paul's now open, open his mouth. Galileo said unto the... You know what you had all over Corinth? That's the point I wanted you to see. Back to 1 Corinthians 14, please. You know what's all over Corinth? Jews. You know why the church at Corinth spoke in tongues? They were witnessing to a whole lot of Jews in the area. God gave them that gift to reach the Jews. Ain't that interesting? A little bit of Bible clears up a whole lot of false doctrine, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense, don't it? I'm not afraid of tongues, not at all. I just believe they ought to be done God's way, not yours. All right, so tongues are a sign not for them that believe, but for them that believe not. But prophesying serveth for them that serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So when it comes to preaching, and we already talked about prophesying properly. Uh, the prophecies completed, right? I showed you that. Uh, you got the book of Revelation. All those guys are prophesying. But when you got the final writing of the Bible in, I think it was 96 or 98 or something like that, A.D., once you got the final writing of Revelation that John gave, why do you need to prophesy anymore? You understand what I'm saying? What do you need? To, like I, the, the illustration I used last time is writing books on marriage, divorce, and remarriage or the King James Bible or rightly dividing or any of the rest of that. I mean, I was talking to somebody about it not long ago, and it's like, well, why would I start a Bible Institute? Why would I spend the time, energy, and effort away from my church and the rest of my other duties and my family, amen, to pour all my you know, guts into starting a Bible Institute here when there's one you can go to if you need to leave home and you want to move, you can go down there. They've been doing it for so many years now, they've worked all the bugs out. They've learned tremendous amounts and by experience, and God is in it. I mean, it's a movement of God. It wasn't just a guy trying something. It was a movement of God. And God, it's proved itself over time. You can go down to PBI if you want to learn the Bible, and you've got to get out of Dodge. If you want to stay home and learn the Bible, then why can't you use TBDI? Why can't you go online and, and learn there? They've been doing You know how long they've been doing that? Things started with Dr. Lentz how many years ago? I mean, that thing's, they've, they've been working hard at it a long time. They got a lot of the bugs worked out, and they're, they're improving all the time. How am I going to start out here and met that kind of quality and have the right teachers and all that stuff that quick? Why would I, why would I do that? I'm not saying that everybody should do it the way I'm doing it. I'm telling you the way my mind works here for this ministry. This is how, I'm not bashing on anybody else. Let them do what they want to do. But what do you need to go back? Why are you needing to prophesy? I got the completed thing and it's proven itself. So let's just get behind what God's already done. I'm not going to say, let me tell you what's going to happen. Let's just look in the Bible and find out what God said is going to happen, man. We don't need you prophesying now. They didn't have the completed thing here. They were still getting a lot of the information coming in. You understand that, right? But you got the final thing now. You're going to prophesy now? Open up the Bible and prophesy. I mean, even so, I come quickly. Yeah, the Lord's coming, man, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If I drop dead before the end of this message, which would be a blessing, you know? I mean, if I just drop dead before the end of this message and head on to glory, guess where my soul's going? 
I know where I'm going. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're not saved, I know where you're going. You're going to burn in hell for eternity. And I don't hate you and I'm not being mean and I'm not belittling. I'm telling you, if you've never never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to split hell wide open and I'm being direct about it because I care and I want you to get saved. That's why. Because you need the same thing I needed. It's Jesus Christ. I'm just prophesying a little bit. I get the authority right here, see? So why do you need to prophesy? You know what prophesying like that does? It helps people that believe. It's for you. You know what church is for? I don't care what the fundamentalists did for all those years and how much they pushed everybody to be out knocking on doors all the time and getting visitors into church all the time and all that kind of stuff. Come on, walk the aisle, walk the aisle, walk the aisle, walk the aisle, say the prayer, sign the card, get in the baptismal pool. Yeah, how many we got saved? Send the reports in. I don't care what they did all those years. Church is not for evangelism. Did you hear what I just said? Now, if you've got a beef with me, stop for a second and ask yourself a question. How often do you hear me preach the gospel and fit the gospel into my messages? Anytime somebody walks in the room that I don't know. I just did, and I know all of you. There's not one first-time visitor here tonight that I can see. I know every last one of you. You know why? Because I care about your kids that aren't saved yet. That's why. I care about the possibility of somebody sitting here, and they're not saved, and they know down deep in their own heart they're not saved, but everybody thinks they're saved. If it was, I've used this illustration before. Forgive me, honey. She knows it's coming, or by now she does. If it was my own wife, I would want her to come forward and trust Jesus Christ as her Savior, and God help anybody that says a word about it. She's the preacher's wife. I can't believe that. He's disqualified. I'm saved and I know it. I'm not disqualified. That's my wife. And I care more about her going to heaven for eternity and not spending eternity than I care what anybody on the stinking planet says about me or my family. It doesn't stink and matter. Their souls matter. So if one of you sitting here and you're not saved, then I want you to get saved. I preach the gospel all the time, don't I? But I'm telling you, this church, the church services are not about evangelistic outreach. That's garbage that you were fed for so many years. Bring your lost visitors. I'll show you why in the passage. Invite people. Get them in church. Let's see the church grow. But church is meant for you that believe, to believe more, to grow stronger, to get fed, to get helped, and to keep growing. And if we're a healthy church, spiritually, naturally, we'll have babies. Will lead people to Christ. You know what you do? You go out in the world and you do that by getting built up and helped in here and being taught these things here. You get equipped to go out and talk to your neighbors and talk to your family members, talk to your friends and get them in church. And I appreciate how many times you all gave me, what's it called, the alley-oop? Is that what it's called? Where you throw it up and the other guy dunks it and he looks great, but you did all the work, right? That's what you do for me so much. It's a huge blessing, man. I'm like, man, this is one of the perks of my job. You know what I mean? Like they bring him in and I just dunk it and it's all good. You know, you did all the work already. And I'm, I love it. I, I'm, I'm good with it. Let's work together. I'm all for it. But that was you doing it. You understand that, right? I'm not ta- I'm, I have a passion for souls. I want to see people saved. But doctrinally, that's not what this assembly is necessarily for. So when you go to these churches where every single Sunday it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and that's all you ever get, no wonder the people don't grow. No wonder they're frustrated. No wonder they're getting their nose bent out of shape about so-and-so and what they did and what they said and who treated me wrong and who didn't say hi and, who, and they're fighting over this, that, and the other thing. They're not being fed and preached at. Prophesying helps you that believe. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church come, be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those unlearned or unbelievers, see that? I didn't say we don't want them. They come in. 
And God uses the church to see people saved, and it's a blessing. It's just not the primary focus. When they come in, unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? They walk in, and everybody's speaking in tongues, and they're like, these people are a bunch of nuts. That's why, you know what? I like amens. You understand that? I like, come on, preacher. I like all that. Come on, you know, throw it at, throw it at me. It's all good. But you ever been in a situation where it's just nutty? It just goes out of control? Listen. If you all understand what you're doing, that's great. I, whatever you want to do, do. But you got to stop and think, like, do we want to reach the community around us? we got to consider that. So our behavior does matter in light of our testimony to lost people. So don't be an idiot. If the Spirit of God's moving on you and you shout amen or you run the bases or anything like that, God bless you, man. I, more power to you. But you better make sure it's the Spirit of God and not you being a knucklehead. That's kind of an application to those of us that got sound doctrine and we know we're not speaking in tongues. But you go into these charismatic messes and man, they're acting like fools. He says in verse uh, 24, But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So you bring a visitor Sunday morning, and pastor tries his best to fit in a, the gospel somewhere along the line, and maybe he doesn't that particular Sunday, and you're like, hey, I had a visitor here, and I told you a visitor was coming, and you didn't fit the gospel in. And Well, okay, stop playing Jesus. Stop playing Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm preaching the Bible, the message God gave me. God knew they were coming. And sometimes I see him walk in and I'm like, Lord, really today? And he says, shut up and do your job. That's how he talks to me. He doesn't talk to you that way. I know you got the other Jesus with the long red hair and the big blue eyes and all that stuff. I got the one that's a carpenter. You understand what I'm saying? I meant to show you this morning, Haggai. Did you notice what it said over there in Ezra? They built, they worked, they built with them. They didn't just preach at them. They went out and they got calluses on their hands and split their fingernails with hammers and all that. that God's men actually get to work. So the, the Lord I serve is a little rougher than the one people seem to be serving nowadays. I'm like, God, really? He's like, shut up and do your job. Yes, sir. You know what God knows? When that lost person comes in and y'all are saying, amen. Wow, that was good. Wow, man, I never saw that before. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir, that's right. He's sitting there going, man, what are all these people getting out of this? And the Holy Spirit of God starts working on his conscience. Convictions coming. From what? From prophesying. From preaching, Jesus is coming. Well, that doesn't mean anything to a lost man. Now, this passage here is a tribulation passage. So we're here in the book of Psalms, and this chapter, Psalm chapter number 56 to 57, this is a tribulation passage, because you see the word Selah, and it, what's this guy doesn't know nothing about that. Come on, preacher, you need to water it down this evening. No, I'm going to give you what God gave me to give you, and he's going to sit there, and you're going to shake your head, and you're going to say amen, and a tear comes in your eye, and you answer the altar, and he's sitting there, and God, he's going, tribulation's coming. Tribulation's coming. The Holy Spirit says, whack, down deep in his, just down deep in his guts. And he starts thinking about COVID. And he starts thinking about aliens. And he starts thinking about life on Mars. And he starts thinking about what's out there in the universe. And he starts thinking about monkeypox. He starts, that's, you understand what I'm saying? That's how God works when you're just doing your job and you're sticking with doctrine and you're preaching the Bible. It starts convicting them. So your testimony, when you're standing there singing those songs, they stand there and some of them stand. I've seen them try to sing along. It's hilarious. I stand in the back on purpose. They get out the hymn book and they're trying to, and they're looking around to see if y'all are <laughs> looking. And they're like, and they don't have a clue what they're singing. Not a clue. 
And y'all are saying amen, and I see him trying to sing more. And there's not, but there's not a song in the heart. I see him stand there while y'all are singing, looking at the words. There ain't no song in the heart. I'm not trying to play God or think that I am God or think I can look at somebody and tell whether or not they are saved, but I got to wonder sometimes. I start praying because I'm like, hey, don't, ain't no signs of life there, Lord. I, don't think, I think that one might be dead in trespasses and sins while you are singing away. You're singing from your heart. And the Holy Spirit of God, you're just here worshiping the Lord's all you're doing. You're just having a good Sunday. You're just trying to grow in the Lord. You're getting stirred up in that book and stirred up in your Savior, enjoying the fellowship one with another. God's helping you out, washing that mind of yours off, washing that heart of yours out, getting you to forget some of the junk you've been dealing with all week and just ministering to your soul. You're having a good time with your family. And they're sitting over there just, Holy Spirit's just grinding on them. Bring them. But he's saying he's convinced of all and he's judged of all. That's what the thing is teaching. Uh, And the secrets of his heart, verse 25, are made manifest. That's the Holy Spirit working on his heart, bringing that conviction. It's an amazing thing. I I, I should have figured it out so many years years ago. But it it, it just, it was a few years ago, but I mean, I should have figured it out a long, long time ago. But I just began to realize that I don't have to push it. I don't have to freak out about it when I'm trying to witness. I don't have to overdo it. I don't have to know every right word, and I don't have to push them. God's working on them. And when the convicting power of the Spirit of God is there, and I'm a yielded vessel just doing my job before the Lord, it's amazing what can get done. His heart's being dealt with. Um, Verse uh, 25, right? So falling down on his face, you see the conviction. And he's responding to the conviction. He will worship God and report that God's in you of a truth. He sees it in you. Now watch this. Look at this thing. This is a neat verse here. I love the way this thing is laid out. This Bible, guys, this Bible's amazing. Even when you don't fully understand it, it's laid out in such a way as to read you and train you and rework the routes in your brain. You understand that? The Bible will teach you. Watch. How is it then, brethren, question, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Now watch. The first part of that verse is saying this is the opposite of edifying. He's teaching you how to edify. He's saying when everybody has to be somebody, Nobody is getting helped. That's what he's saying. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you thinks you know what needs to be done. Every one of you thinks you need to be the one ministering. Every one of you thinks you need to be the one singing, has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. In the younger days of our church, we had a whole lot of this going on. Just a bunch of young guys that just all wanted to prove that they knew the Bible better than the other guy. We did Bible studies and little get-together sitting around, a little circle over there at the church sitting around and asking questions. But the questions that were being asked weren't really questions. They were challenges. And so debates would get going and that strife would start building up and that frustration and that ha-ha gotcha moment and that back and forth and who's the big dog and knows the Bible the best kind of thing going on. You know what that was? That was just youthful energy. I ain't bashing on anybody. It was just youthful energy. 
It was just a young pastor, not knowing how to handle it, not understanding what's really going on here, and actually feeding into it and being a part of the problem, causing a lot of the strife, being a part of a lot of the strife, not knowing how to stop the strife when it started. But all it was was just a bunch of carnal Christians that knew a lot of Bible doctrine. I know how to rightly divide. I've read all Ruckman's commentaries. I've graduated from Bible school. I got it all together. And it's like, all right, but who's getting help? That's the question. That's why I don't just plug people into the pulpit. Because I'm not going to send the message to a guy who's called to preach that it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about the church getting help, getting edified, getting built up, getting encouraged, getting blessed, getting help from God. It's a ministry. It's not your chance to show off or be somebody. That's why we do what we do with the Sunday schools. It's a rotation. A month on, two months off. I need you to pray with me because I want to start up the other Sunday school classes. But we're going to just kind of wait on God, make sure the timing's right. Want these, the lost group that we have in here that's not in Sunday school, not in youth group yet, the lost generation. <laughs> we want to get those poor kids going again. But timing, 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 timing. I want God's timing on it. And then when you do, it's a month on and two months off. Why? Because it's not your kingdom down there. You don't get to go in there and decorate your room the way you want it. You go down there and you teach and you do your time for your month and then you step aside and you let somebody else do it. I love that thing. I love that rotation. Why? Because it's not all about you. It's all about what's best for everybody. It's about working together. It's about being able to step back and let somebody else do something once in a while. There's two positions in the church that aren't up for rotation. Those are the two offices God set up in the local church. It's the pastor and the deacons. Outside of that, he's saying, why has everybody got to be somebody? Amen. That's a good question, right? You know what you got in churches nowadays? I'm telling you right now. You know what you're taught? You're taught, get them and plug them in. Give them a spot. Give them a position. Make them a teacher. Make them the head of this and the head of that. Give them something so that everybody sees that they're the head of such and such department. Well, I would literally love to go to a Bible-believing church, but I'm the greeter at my church. Yeah, I know, I'm not really... We've had the conversations, haven't we? You guys have told me about your conversations. Well, you know, I'd love to come. I'm not really getting anything, but, uh, you know, but I'm, everybody knows me, and I'm supposed to... I'm in charge. I'm the welcome committee. And Oh, so your position's more important than whether or not you're even growing in Jesus Christ or learning your Bible? That's what God wants you there for. You're telling me that's why God wants you in church. Something's wrong about that. That ain't right. The Bible says a man's gift maketh room for him. If you got a gift of God and you're growing in Jesus Christ, God will work it out and you'll know it's God. It wasn't politic in the preacher. And you'll respect me, you'll respect yourself, you'll glorify God and you'll be strong in what God called you to do because you'll have seen God do it. That's what I want. I want to know God did it. And that I'm doing what God wants me because there's plenty of doubt. You better trust, believe me. There's plenty of opportunities to quit. There's plenty of reasons of why you shouldn't. I want to know God's in it and God's doing it. Then I can do it and I'll be able to see it through when the fight gets on. But if you don't know God's in it, you won't make it. Verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. So here's your rules for speaking in tongues. Number one. A man. Not making it up, am I? I'm going to show you I'm not making it up because of context. Did I talk to you earlier about foundations? And if foundations, you look at the context before and after, I'm going to show you I'm not reading into the passage and being a chauvinist or whatever they're called nowadays. If any man speak in an unknown tongue. 
So you turn on your TV and you watch these charismatics. You go into a charismatic church, you got a bunch of women speaking in tongues. That ain't Bible. You're not following God's order on the thing. You're way out of whack. Number one, it's supposed to be a man. Number two, let it be, it, notice it's an unknown tongue. It's not speaking in tongues. It's a language you don't know. I reiterate that point again. Let it be by two or at the most by three. And that by course. So what he's saying is two people speak in tongues in that service at the most three. No more. And then take turns. Don't be popping off at the mouth over here and popping off at the mouth over here at the same time. You know, it's like sitting in church and you, you know, a good thought comes through your head while I'm preaching and you, so you yell out to the preacher to you know, kind of help the message out. I've seen that happen all over the place. I mean, they're like, yeah, what about? And you're like, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? He said, don't do that by course. Uh, there's supposed to be some order there. And let one interpret. So when he speaks, now what did he just say? And that's Jews sitting there. And Corinthians told you tongues are going to do what? Cease. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Chapter 13 said they're going to cease. So we know they did. But at this time, Paul's telling the Corinthians, while tongues were still active because there was Jews everywhere, here's how to speak in tongues. Verse 28, But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him, notice the him, him, him. And let him speak to himself and to God. You got the gift of tongues? Great. Go home and enjoy yourself. And don't forget what we already taught you. If you don't understand even what you're saying, it's unfruitful. So have a blast there, super spiritual. Glad you got a useless gift that makes you feel super good. Isn't that what it teaches? I'm not making it up, right? That's what it teaches. All right. Um, Verse 29, let the prophet speak by two or three and let the other judge. So a guy's not just up here going on and on and saying whatever he wants. The other guys are sitting there going, wait a second, was that right? Now here's where your Plymouth brethren come up with, you know, you have to have a plurality of leaders. And while one guy's preaching, the other pastors sit there and they analyze what he's saying and the elder board makes sure he's saying the right things. And so you're never up there just preaching a message and just filling up with God, filling up with a passage and just pouring your heart out before God and trying to help people. You're up there constantly defending every little thing that comes out of your mouth because you know your brothers are going to call you on the carpet later if you just say anything wrong. Listen to me. Everybody, everybody, sooner or later says something they don't mean or is wrong about something or misquotes something. You'll do it too if you have my job. Everybody. If you're a knucklehead, you're going to sit there and jump on every little thing. I've said it before, just being funny. Like, I don't even agree with half of what I say. You know what I mean? Like, it's an exaggeration. But every once in a while, I'm like, why did I say that? You know? Or I go back and like, I've, I've had it, and I've told you this before. I've had it where I was like, that was stupid. That wasn't Samson. That was somebody else. You know what I mean? And I said that. And my pride was so hurt by being so stupid and sounding so stupid with the cotton-picking internet nowadays. It's you know, out there forever, and I'm just so bitter about it. I'm like, man, I look like an idiot, and I sound like an idiot. i got to make sure I correct that publicly. And God says, eat it. Let them talk. And I'm like, God, i got to correct that publicly. He's like, okay, then you can have the whole service. You want the service? You can have the service. I said, don't say anything about it. And I've had to just eat it, not even correct myself. We're human. You get in a crowd where they're sitting there like that, and they're all sitting back there, you know. You know, you know what it is? We don't have any high mucky mucks around here. 
Okay, hi, monkey muck. You ever notice that? It's funny, ain't it? We're all equal. Yes, sir. Now, weird? There's a weird spirit about that. Listen, you're not prophesying like they were. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, whether they be prophecies, they shall what? Fail. They're not still actively doing this in church. It's a sign to the Jew. They didn't have the completed revelation yet. So it's a different context. All right? Um, the, if any, uh, uh, yeah, verse 30. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. You're not doing church like that today. Don't just walk in and just see what, whatever God brings. What word from the Lord? I got a word from the Lord like the charismatics do. I got a word from the Lord. Who has a word from the Lord? That's not how we do it. We open up our Bibles, right? There has to be structure. You remember how I mentioned foundation? I'm going to show you at the end of this chapter. I'm not making this up. I'm setting the table here. There has to be structure. How are you going to learn the Bible if it's just like, okay, brother, who's got a word from the Lord? Okay, since we're not charismatic, uh, open your Bibles to it, and here's what I want to say. And then here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to Here's what I want to you, you know what you're going to see in 30 years? A bunch of babies that don't really know their Bible. There's no structure. They can't rightly divide the word of truth. They can, they can debate like crazy, and everybody thinks they know, and they're there to be the teacher, but there's no structure. He's saying in this context, when, when this situation's going on and there's signs to the Jews, he said, let him speak by two, at the most by three, three, let another judge. If anything revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. So you acquiesce to the other guy. Submission is still taught. Ephesians says, submit yourselves one to another. Having that kind of a spirit, that's still what we're supposed to have. Verse 31, for ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. Verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's uh, Proverbs 16, 32. You know what you got to do? You got to have rule over your own spirit. Look at Proverbs 16, 32 real quick. We'll, we're making good time here. We'll be done in just a minute. Look at Proverbs 16, 32. Here's self-control. And I'll tell you, this has been one of the hardest ones for me since I was a little boy. Proverbs 16, 32. He that is slow to anger. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> That's been an Achilles heel for me. I've told you before, I beat up my bike because it wouldn't stay upright. I told you that, right? I insisted on taking off the training wheels. I mean, I insisted on it. My dad said, you're not ready. My mom said, you're not ready. I, but I wanted the training wheels off. I was ready. And I got on that bike and a dumb thing wouldn't stay up. I remember it. I remember beating it up. I was slamming it on the ground over and over again and kicking my bike out in front of the house. My mom took me in there and wore me out. My dad gave me a big lecture about I didn't pay for that bike and he wore me out when he got home. They were worried about my temper. They had a right to be. But he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. To be able to be in the heat of the moment back in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and to be able to say, nope, I'm staying in control. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I'm not losing control. You see me get worked up and get angry and start preaching hard, I don't lose control. I'm preaching hard. But I, by the grace of God, I'm not going to let myself, I, I can't do that. You understand that? I, gotta, I can express anger. There's nothing wrong with expressing anger, righteous anger. The Bible never says not to be angry. It says be angry and sin not. Being in control of yourself. 
That's what he's teaching. Um, he says, uh, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So when the, it just comes on me, brother, and I can't stop it, not biblical. Absolutely unbiblical. You're just flipping out, just on the ground, just jerking around, all that stuff. Unbiblical. Nope. That wasn't the Spirit of God. Don't give me that garbage. You need to control yourself. Um, for God is not the author of confusion, in verse number 33, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Notice that. God is not, I'm just confused about my Bible. That's not God doing that to you. Let's be faithful to come to church and sit down and go through some structured teaching. And I'm telling you, your answers will come. The confusion goes away. God clarifies things and makes it very clear, very helpful. Verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Remember how I said, man, 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 and I'm not pulling out of context? Now, here's where some of these guys get wacky. Means a woman can't talk in church. Same thing as the head coverings. Remember, her head has to be covered, so you got to wear a hat. Women sit on this side, men sit on that side. Don't say a word, ladies. The Bible says women are to keep silence in the church. So does it mean she can't sing? You see my wife and daughter singing specials, right? You know I don't believe this. It means she can't sing. It means she can't teach a Sunday school class. It means she can't fellowship with the other ladies around church. You know how wacky some of these guys get? They go to this kind of stuff. They're out there. They're nuts. They don't study their Bible in context. They grab that one phrase and you pull it out of context. You get hung up on that women are supposed to keep silence in the church, brother. Women keep silence in the church, brother. She t- why are they testifying, brother? Women are supposed to keep silence in the church. What are you intimidated by, bro? What are you afraid she's going to say about you? What you hiding there, control freak? You, you insecure punk? Well, I, that stuff makes me mad. In context, he's talking about speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now watch, we're talking about Bible doctrine. It says, For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, see the context? It's talking about the doctrine. Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. You know what he's saying? He's saying, follow the proper authority structure. It's literally just chain of command. It's that simple. Don't disrespect your husband. By not giving him a shot at it first. You know, some of you, I've had lots of ladies come ask questions. Your husband knows you're asking. Hey, my wife had a question. Hey, we had a question. Like, there's no, chain, there's no usurping of the chain of command. Does you follow that? Sometimes, fellas, if you don't have the answer, that's a good one. Let's ask preacher. I do it. I don't know, hon. That's a good one. Let's talk to the preacher about that. You know, Brother Peacock comes in. We got our list, our agenda for the week and stuff we're going to talk about around the dinner table. And we always got our list ready to roll. You know what I mean? There's no usurping of the authority. That's what he's teaching. Saying in church, I've seen it, boy. I've seen it where they'll pop off at the mouth and what they're doing, you know, question and answer or whatever. It's okay to ask a question and answer. I'm not trying to get on you, but they're just trying to, trying to show how smart they are. I don't have a chance to preach, but I'm going to stump the preacher. That's what he's talking about, that kind of a spirit. It's a wrong spirit. So he's saying if they have questions, let them ask at home. For it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. So what about a woman that doesn't have a saved husband? What about a woman that's not married? How do we answer those questions? Context. You know he's talking about her being a loud mouth. He's talking about her speaking in tongues and using them out of order. He's talking about her prophesying and teaching. It's talking about authority. With the right spirit in the proper place, 
There's, the Bible does not teach she can't sing or teach a Sunday school class or ask the preacher a Bible question. That's not what it's teaching. He's talking about in the context of that service when she's trying to kind of like usurp the authority and be loud and show off and be aggressive and she's subject to emotions. The spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets, but we're supposed to honor our wives as the weaker vessel. Why? Because of the emotional, um, the emotional um, vulnerability that women have. So God's saying, don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> There's an emotional... Vol- is that okay for me to say, or is that like, well, I can't believe he said something like that. He's putting women down. I mean, I, all I live in is a girl house. My wife is a female. She's never doubted that. She's been a female since the day she was born, and she knows exactly what she is. All four of my daughters are 100% female. They don't doubt that, okay? Understand what I'm saying? I'm not putting any of them down. You can go, you meet my wife and daughters, you know I'm not... They're not like... He's insecure, beat down. Like they're, All of them are intelligent. They're all more intelligent than I am. I'm not talking like that. It's, so it's okay for me to say they're more vulnerable? Because they are. And if you're taking that as a negative, I'm not. I don't think that's a negative thing. I think it's one thing that makes my wife beautiful. She's female. I didn't marry a man. I want you to be a rock in your emotions, honey. How come you're not a rock? I need you to be my strength. You know, like... <coughs> It's not a put down, it's a fact. And God knows the fact, God made the facts, and we'll all be happier if we admit the facts and live with them. Amen. Verse 36, what? He's, he's, he's upset. Came the word of God out from you? Or came it unto you only? I think he's using sarcasm. Well, you think you got the corner on the market, you know all the Bible? The Bible came from you? You're the only one that knows the Bible? You're the end. You're the, you're you're it, huh? There, preacher boy. You're the man. You you got it. You're gonna do it better than everybody else, faster than everybody else, because you're you're it. Okay, fool. Praying for you. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, you think you, you think you got it? Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. How about that? Paul pulls rank. Yeah, you think you're a prophet? You think you're spiritual? Then acknowledge that I've given you the truth. What he's saying is, submit yourself. People don't like that nowadays, boy. That says that, that ticks them off. But he's saying, you guys think you're so spiritual that you know that then all the resistance we talked about Paul getting in Corinth and the people attacking him and trying to undermine his ministry. He's saying that you admit and you know for a fact and you admit it. If you think you're spiritual, you guys want to find out if these guys are spiritual. Let them acknowledge the truth. You know, what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't waste a bunch of time debating and arguing with people. You know what he told Timothy to do? He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. His orders are to preach the word, not, you know, go ahead and prophesy two or at the most by three and go ahead and, you know. He said, get up there and preach to him. He told Timothy, uh, Titus, he said, set in order the things that are wanting. Get that Bible out. Hold forth the word of life. Give them the Bible and hold it up and teach it and preach it. Be apt to teach. That's the system you're in now. You know what else he said? The heretic after the first and second admonition reject. He don't want you to see, God don't want you to see your preacher going back and forth and 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 debating and arguing and trying to hold his own and this big debate all the time. I'll give them truth. They don't want it. I'll give them one more try. They don't want it. Go somewhere else, man. Hey, what about... I don't know. I'm too stupid, man. Why don't you teach me? When you're done teaching me, there's the door. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's rough. Well, that's Bible. Why? Because that's not the spirit we got. 
It says not to dote about questions and strifes of words. Now, don't play like, Preacher, I want to ask you a question, but I'm not arguing with you. It's a, it's a spirit thing. If you're coming the right way, I know. I can tell. I, I mean, I think I know. I think I can tell. And I'm going to assume that you are, if you've been around a while and you're not a knucklehead, I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt if you're being a knucklehead. Maybe you're having a bad day. When a man acts out of character, it's because he's under pressure. He wasn't himself. Then <laughs> you know there's something going on. So pray for him and give him time. Amen. But when you've got a knucklehead coming, you just don't put up with him. Verse 38. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. I already commented on it. I already gave you my notes on that verse. I just said it all. If he wants to be a fool, be a fool. Let him go. Verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Have a desire to have the better gifts. And don't forbid him to speak in tongues. Let God do what God's doing the way God wants to do it in God's time. And the way God's doing it now, the Jews are gone. Gentiles. I already gave you the list of how God's doing it now. Timothy and Titus, right? Quoted that stuff to you. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. You know, God's a God of order. God's a God of structure. Didn't I talk to you about structure? A foundation, a clear structure. You won't get anything done in your life or in your church without order and structure. And God's a God of order. You know what he wants when he comes into church? He wants order. It doesn't mean we have to get so stiff and formal that it's like, wait a second. We're supposed to pray now. Oh, wait a minute. That that song was out of order. We're supposed to have the special there and the hymn. We can have a little bit of liberty to kind of move as God moves. It's not a big deal. But decently and in order is a requirement from God because God works decently and God works in order. And I'll tell you, that'll help you in your own personal life with your personal structure, your Bible reading, your prayer, your house cleaning, your job, your schoolwork, whatever it is. It'll help you to have decency, order, and structure that's why they'll teach you to get out of bed, and the first thing you do is make your bed. Why? Because you had a goal and accomplished a goal first thing in the morning. You got off to a good start. You got something done right out the gate. Make your bed. And it's orderly. Decency and an order. Your home, your marriage, your family life, your walk with Jesus Christ, your church, God's a God of order. And that concludes 1 Corinthians chapter 14. All right, we'll go ahead and pick up in chapter 15 next week.